Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, pause there for a second, because I don't know about you, but this angel descending from heaven, rolling back the stone in front of the tomb, and then sitting on it. That's a boss move right there. I mean, that's a boss move, right? And you can just kind of picture rolling back the tomb, sitting on the stone and being like, suck. Right? I'm sure that's not what it was like. But rolling back the tomb and sat on it, his appearance was like lightning, verse 3, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, get this, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is raised from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Did you catch that? With fear and great joy. With fear and great joy. What a rush, right? To tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, verse 9, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so Mary and Mary, they go to the tomb to see Jesus. And the angel descends from heaven and says, He's not here. He's risen. Just as he said... Just as he said, just as he proclaimed he would do, he has risen from the dead. He has, he, he's not here. And he even tells them, come in, see, he's not there. So go quickly, tell the disciples. And as they're going to tell the disciples, they went, right, with great fear and joy at the same time. <clears throat> and, and as they go, Jesus meets them on the road and says, greetings. And I love this because the scripture says, look, look there at verse uh, 10, excuse me, nine, they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Now, Matthew doesn't record that they fell down, but they would have had to fall down, right? They would have had to fall down and seeing Jesus to take hold of his feet, as he does record that. And I love the image of that, right? That they, that they fell down, they worshiped him, they were so excited. And he says, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So I want to give you two big implications from the resurrection that if we can grasp deep down, like deep down in the depths of our soul, it will affect the way we live. It will affect the way we live. Not change the way we live, because some of you are walking in here this morning living full of victory and life, but if we will get this message in the guts of our soul, in the depths of our soul, then it will affect the way that we're living. The first implication is this. If Jesus is resurrected from the grave, and we believe he is, amen, then our rescue is complete. If we believe that Jesus 
has been raised from the grave, has resurrected from the grave, then our rescue is complete. You know, one of the things about death that I've been thinking about this week is that, is that um, culture sees death differently than Scripture does. Culture says that death is natural and resurrection is unnatural, right? I mean, just look at the walking dead. How unnatural do those people look? I'm not a zombie guy. Some, some of you are kind of zombie anyway, right? But, 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 but culture sees death as natural, resurrection as unnatural. Not Scripture. Not Scripture. I mean, we see... We see throughout Scripture a few references um, where people are resurrected. Lazarus, Jesus, and others. The Bible sees it differently. They see death as unnatural, resurrection as natural. Why? Because we're going to be raised to walk in the newness of life. Amen? And so two things about our rescue being complete. It's complete in our past, present, and future. Jesus resurrecting from the grave means that God has conquered sin. It doesn't matter what our past is full of, that forgiveness is available to all, for all, and in all. No matter how you walked in here or limped in here today, you can't out-sin God. You can't out-sin God. Those times you feel worthless, those times you feel less than, those times that you feel like you are nothing, Jesus has already handled that. He's already handled that. And not just for our past, present, and future, but we've got to look at it this way. Fully, freely, and forever. Fully, freely, and forever. See, fully, He died for all your sins. The bill has been paid in full. Now, I've got a spot, and I want to tell you about my spot, but I'm a little nervous in telling you about my spot, because if I tell you about my spot, you're going to go to my spot, and then I'm going to have to find a new spot. So stay in your spot, okay? But how many of you have heard of Papa's ice cream? Standish? Papa's? Okay, okay, not too many of you. All right, that's good. All right, we're good then. Papa's open on Wednesday. Wednesday, March 31st, Papa's open, big day for my kids. My kids wanted to go, so I had to drive them, right? I didn't necessarily, y'all know that's a lie, right? Okay, okay. So my kids wanted to go, so I had to drive them. So we go to Papa's, ice cream, right? Afternoon, uh, kind of snack and things like that. Anyway, um, we get in line, a bunch of people there, so I try to rush and get in line right, and, uh, and beat some people, you know, I'm the type of, get in line, then find out what everybody wants, right, I annoy everybody in the line, because then I'm like, so, but I just, I'm ready to get my ice cream, so get in line, right, get up there, pay for my ice cream, they're starting to deliver the ice creams, and this guy comes up cutting the line, right, and he's like, hey, I need to get in here, because I need to tell this lady something, I said, okay, by all means, go ahead, we've already ordered, we paid, we're, we're just waiting, for our ice cream, he hands the lady in the window four $50 bills. The math of that, I think, is $200, right? Yep, 200 bucks, right? He hands her $200 to pay for the next $200 worth of ice cream. 
And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? Five minutes earlier, buddy. And you have... It was about $200 worth of ice cream that I got. So it would have... No, 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 no. But, but, but five minutes, right? And that whole... You know what the first thing came to my mind was? First shall be last, and the last shall be first. Right? So I'm looking back at my family members and a couple friends that met us there. I'm like, yep, they lucked out. Right? They hand me my ice cream. I can't even enjoy it anymore. All right? I'm standing over there. I'm eating my ice cream and just watching all these people knowing, yep, you're getting free ice cream. You're getting free ice cream. You're getting free ice cream. You know who's not getting free ice cream? This guy. Right? But you know what I noticed once I kind of got over myself eventually as I was standing there watching people go up to the window. They had no idea. They had no idea. And they went up to the window and they ordered what they, what they wanted. And then, the, and then the lady on the other end of the window said, nope, you don't have to pay. Your ice cream's already been paid for. Oh, these people, you could just see. I mean, everybody's wearing masks like we are now, right? But you could just see the joy. Their whole demeanor had shifted. They were excited. I mean, my mother-in-law like broke out in a dance, right? Like, I mean, there was, there, there was excitement. Why? Because the bill had been paid in full for their ice cream. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. And what a beautiful thing it is in the house of God when someone comes to the realization that the bill has been paid in full for their sin. And see, here's the thing, we know that, we hear that a lot, that we can't out God, and that's, and, that's, and that's the challenge in the Easter message, is that many of us could probably, could probably recite this message, you could probably talk about most of where we're going to go this morning, but we don't know it. The fact that Jesus has paid the bill in full for your life, for your sin has not hit you and you're allowing yourself to be robbed of the joy of your salvation and you would rather have free ice cream than the bill paid for your sin. Or maybe that's just me. At times. Right? Fully. The bill for your life has been paid in full. Freely. He didn't give you this love so you could pay him back. He didn't give you this love so you could pay him back. The manager came over as I was still standing there waiting for the ice cream that I paid for. And she said, oh, that's so nice of you. Thank you so much. I was like, it wasn't me. Well, where's the guy? I don't care. He's dead to me. He didn't get here five minutes earlier. She still thought it was me that paid for the ice cream. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's great. I mean, you can think that, but I didn't, right? But he didn't give us this love so we could pay him back. You know the best, you know the best picture of that that we get in Scripture? is the thief on the cross. Jesus on a cross in between two other men 
And the thief that's on the cross has a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus looks at that thief and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, that messes with some of our legalistic minds, doesn't it? Because, wait a minute, Pastor. The thief on the cross, he's got to come down and get baptized. The thief on the cross, he's, he's got to come down. He's got to serve the church in some ways, right? Before he can go, no, 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 no. Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And then forever, eternally, forever, fully, freely, and forever. If Jesus resurrected from the grave, then our rescue is complete. See, Jesus doesn't love some future version of you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love you in the future when you have that job. He doesn't love you in the future when you, when you, when you, you know, when you lose your COVID-20. He doesn't love you in the future when you have those kids and you own that house. He doesn't love you in the future. He loves you the way you are. He doesn't love some future version of you. And God doesn't regret saving you, nor does he want to trade you in. So what's the point of this implication? That our confidence is rooted in the resurrection. Our confidence is rooted in the resurrection. Somebody just told me in between the 930 and this service that, um, that they grew up going to church on Easter and they never heard the word hope. And he, said, and he said to me, he said, you said hope four times in your message this morning. I'm, I was like, well, I'm surprised I didn't say it more. Because you know what we celebrate today? The hope of a risen Savior. That is the thing that separates us from any other religion. The hope that we have in the fact that Jesus isn't on the cross, and he's not in the grave, but he is who he says he is. And John 14 said that he was going to prepare a place for us. That's where he is. There's hope in that. If there's anything we celebrate today in, in, in light of the resurrection, it's the hope that we have in a Savior. That's why today is a great day. Amen? Second implication. Second implication. The seriousness of God's love for you. The seriousness of God's love for you. Now, we all know the signs, right? Jesus loves you. We all know the song. We even know the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God. New life, right? Everything made new, dark into light. But here's the reality for us as the body of Christ. We've become so familiar with what we've been saved from that we haven't fully grasped what we've been saved for. Let me say that one more time, because this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time together. We've become so familiar with what we've been saved from that we haven't fully grasped what we've been saved for. And let me tell you why that's important. Because if you've just been saved from, right, if you've just been saved from some things, 
right? And that's, and, that's a, and that's a thing, right? Because that's our ticket, right? Many of us just get excited about heaven, right? And, and all those things, right? We just don't want to go to hell, so that's the reason we're going to say yes to Jesus, right? And so, and, so, and so, but if we've just been saved from, then we become a spectator. If we're not saved for anything, if we're not saved to anything, and we're just saved from some things, well, then we just become a spectator. This Christian life gets boring, Right? We're just saved from some things. So it's just we're, just, we're just here, right? We start chasing these fairy tales of, of, of things that, that we, we will not have answers to this side of heaven. We start, we start chasing these fairy tales. When we just focus on what we've been saved from, we become spectators. We get bored and we chase these fairy tales. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't look at the church and say, hey, y'all just coop up in a room, sing some songs, and I'll be back to get you eventually. That's not what he did. Right? He saved us to some things. He saved us for some things. We can live for God's glory and for our joy. Because when we understand what we're saved to, we come alive. And the world looks differently. So, before we can get to what we're saved for, let's review what we've been saved from. Okay? What we've been saved from. The first thing, we've been saved from the wrath to come. Yep, you read that right. The wrath to come. The wrath to come. We've been saved from the wrath to come. See, God being angry isn't popular in our world, is it? I mean, God being angry isn't popular. Like the Noah story, why would a loving God do that, right? And we've got to change the narrative a little bit, but I left it in here this way because I think it's important for us to just face it head on, right? Because we know the narrative, we know the end of the story, right? It's not God's anger, it's that he's just. It's actually one of my favorite attributes about God is that he's just. And a lot of times, and, and a lot of times our snowflake culture equates his justness with anger. Right? So we're saved from this wrath to come, but we've got to think about this a little bit because we must understand that love and wrath go together. Love and wrath go together. To love someone deeply is to have the capacity for wrath. To love someone deeply is to have the capacity for wrath. I'm coaching a couple basketball teams right now. I love them so much as basketball players, I want them to run till they puke. Right? Any coaches in the room? Not soccer, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> to love someone deeply is to have capacity for wrath. What about our kids? That's the better example, right? I don't set boundaries around my children. I don't set boundaries around my children because I hate them. I don't set boundaries around my children to rob them, right? I don't place, I don't place these boundaries around them for those reasons. Why do I do it, parents? Because I love them. And because I may know some things that they don't know. 
Now, how to run a smartphone or a computer? Nope, they got me there. Some technologies, they got me there. They probably shouldn't got me in all the ways that they got me there, but they do, okay? That's beside the point. They figure things out that I can't figure out. But what would it look like? My little girl, Vera, just turned four a week ago, last Sunday. What would it look like if I went home to V today and said, Hey, Vera, you're four now. You're taking over the family's finances. <laughs> Papas! Right? New swing set, probably. Um, you know, some other things, right? Like, like, like that, I wouldn't do that. Right? Or, or let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Bria, who in a month is going to be a teenager. And I said, okay, Bria, you, you want all the autonomy? You want all the say? All right, you're in charge of bedtime. Okay? You're in charge of, you're in charge of getting everybody going. You're, you are in charge of the house schedule. Nothing would get done. <laughs> Nothing would get done. Right? I don't make my kids go to bed at a certain time and miss out on a phenomenal March Madness game that would stir their passions for college basketball because I'm trying to rob them of anything. No, because our most important thing this weekend is right now. And for us to be ready and rested for right now, we got to go to bed a little earlier on a Saturday night so that we can be ready for the day. They don't get that. Kristen does. Can't even say me. I can't even take credit for that one. Right? And so for me to love them well and effectively the way that God has called me to, remember that's a mandate from, from God himself, Father God, to, to us today as parents, then I have to set boundaries around them. Right? And that's not wrath. It's love. It's love. As much as they may see it as wrath. It's love. And how many times does God place boundaries around us? And we say, wait a minute. Time out, God. Time out. I want to enjoy all the benefits of what I'm saved from. I want to enjoy all the benefits of your love, but I don't want any of the boundaries. I, want to, I don't want any of the boundaries. I want to be fully autonomous in the way that I live, and so I want to enjoy all the benefits of what you got for me over here, but I don't want any of the boundaries that you got for me over here. That's not being a child of God in the same way that that's not being a child in your home. We've been saved from the slavery to sin. No longer a slave to sin. We're a child of God. We've seen that often. Let's keep going. We're saved from the devil and the power of darkness. Now, we struggle with this one too, right? Because in Scripture, when we see these supernatural realities, right, that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principality, right, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? That's weird. That's a little cuckoo. I don't want to touch that because that whole devil and darkness thing and the, and the supernatural of Christianity, right, I don't want to touch that. I'm just going to go watch Harry Potter, 
right? I'm going to go pretend to be Spider-Man or super, or super, whatever, right? Whatever he, Iron Man, right? Fly around and all that, right? But, but the reality is we've been saved from the devil and the power of darkness. We've been saved, two more, from the law. The law, the beauty, the fact that we've been saved from the law is that Jesus fulfills it for us. And it would do us well to remember that the primary use of the law is to show us the need for a Savior. The primary use of the law is to show us the need for the Savior. Right? The whole Old Testament, blessings for obedience, cursings for disobedience, to the law, to those standards. Right? Jesus came, fulfilled the law, new covenant. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And lastly, Jesus saves us from death. Right? That unnatural, natural. Jesus saves us from death. In Him we have eternal life. And the whole point of this message, don't miss it, is that what robs us as Christians, the reason we don't live in the joy of our salvation so often is that we put a period right there and we move on. We just, we just want to focus. We just want to get excited about. We just want our preachers to preach on. We just want to sing about what we're saved from. Put a period. Move on. Let me live my life. We've got to look at what we've been saved for. We've been saved for a union with Jesus. Union with Jesus. For a vibrant, living, active relationship with Jesus. New life. Not try harder. New life. Don't wait for heaven. He's here now. Don't wait for the glory. Glory is here now. John 17, 21, as Jesus is praying to his Father on his way to the cross, he says this, that they may all be one. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. You see the union there? That's what Jesus is praying for. That all of those who would believe would be in union with Him as He and the Father are one, that we would be with Him and the Father in relationship. Why? He goes on to say, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. That the unsaved world, the unknowing world is going to know that Jesus was sent by God, by our relationship with Him, by our union with Him, by our oneness with Him. Paul says it differently in Ephesians 5.1, imitate Christ therefore as His dear children. We reflect Him to the world, and that's what, make, that's what makes an unbelieving world see Jesus is our relationship with Him, our union with Him. We're saved for knowing God. Knowing God. See, there's a tension here, right? There's a difference between knowing something and knowing about something, right? There's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. 
right? See, I feel like I know people I don't know. You could call it my southernness, right? Don't forget, I'm married in to the club of Mainer, okay? So, but I'm going to go southern for just a moment. I meet somebody for five minutes, we're besties, right? I know somebody for five minutes, we're sharing hoodies, right? We're, we're going on vacation together, we're hanging out, they're paying, right? Like, like we're besties, right? That's not necessarily the case for many of you. Okay, I get that, I get that. Let me tell you a story. Uh, I was at a conference in Orlando, Florida one time, and there was an author there that I loved, and, 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 and uh, his book Crazy Love was really influential in my life about 11 years ago in my call to Maine. His name is Francis Chan. And Francis Chan, I found out, was staying at the hotel that I was staying at, right? He was there. And so one day, one day, I was, I was walking the hall, and he, came, he comes walking out of the cafeteria, and I did what any guy would do. I went over and took a selfie with him, right? I mean, Francis Chan, hey, man, how you doing? Pastor... I know this person that you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Made connections. We're best buds. He invited me, you know, to go nowhere. And, um, and uh, called Kristen immediately, sent her the picture. She posted it on Facebook immediately. So it was Facebook official. So he and, now are, he and I are now Facebook official, right? He goes to speak that night, the big keynote. Everybody's in the room in the conference. And he tells a story really early on in his message about how so many of us would rather take a selfie with Moses than go up on the mountain and spend time with God ourselves. Jerk. <laughs> Deleted my selfie real fast. Problem was, it was already on Facebook, so I get to see it every year in my reminders, right? But because of that encounter right there, I knew Francis Chan. Right? I don't know Francis Chan. I know a lot about Francis Chan. I've read, I think, every single one of his books, right? But I don't know Francis Chan, right? Many of us know a lot of things about God. Again, we could, we could preach this message for Easter Sunday, right? But, but do we know him? Do we know him? Do we know the heart of the Father? We're going to preach in a couple weeks about the prodigal son, right? Do you know the heart of the Father? For you, for your family, for the people that you come in contact with every single day. We're saved for union with Jesus. We're saved for knowing God. Number three, we're saved for freedom. It is for freedom. He set us free. Now, we've already talked about this and fully, freely and forever. <clears throat> but the freedom here is this. The, the freedom that we've been saved for is this. We will stumble about this side of heaven we will stumble about because of the weakness of our flesh until the coming of Jesus we will stumble about because of the weakness of our flesh until the coming of Jesus but here's the freedom the freedom is that he doesn't demand perfection of us but loves us in our imperfection 
The freedom is that Jesus doesn't expect you to walk into this place and wear that mask of fineness and goodness, right? That I'm good, I'm fine, back off, I don't need anything, I don't need anyone, right? I'm perfect in my own self. And the truth is you're not. And the beauty of a relationship with Jesus and the fellowship of His church is that you can be free from the masquerade. You don't have to play that game. In fact, as your pastor, stop playing that game. That's the freedom that you've been saved for. Two more. We've been saved for community. We've been saved for community. See, the truth is, community's hard, isn't it? I mean, we like to, we, we, we like to think and focus on what we've been, been saved for because it's easier. I mean, excuse me, we like to think about what we've been saved from because it's easier, right? I don't, I'm not going to hell, right? I don't have to, you know, devil, kick him in the teeth, right? All these things, right? But when we start thinking about what we've been saved for, well, there's where the work begins. Because I've got to build a relationship with God. I've got to walk in freedom, even when I don't feel like it, and all I want to do is shame myself, right? I've got to, I've got to engage and plug in with community, We have a thin understanding of what it means to be known in community. Let me explain what I mean. Years ago, dishwasher breaks, and you're not a dishwasher guy, and you don't have a lot of experience with dishwashers, what do you do? Call a guy. Call the dishwasher guy. Right? You call the appliance guy. You know what you do now? You watch four or five YouTube videos, you break four or five more things on your dishwasher, and then you got to really call a guy, right, who's going to get frustrated with you. He doesn't want to small talk. He doesn't want to build a relationship with you because he could have been the dishwasher guy when only one problem was, was, but now you've got all kinds of issues. Your kitchen's flooded, right? The flooring's all messed up. So you got to call a couple guys, get them in there, and they're frustrated with you because they could have solved the whole thing if you wouldn't have tried to do it yourself because of, you know, YouTube, Anybody else, or is that just me? Okay, like these screws keep falling out of my dishwasher, and I don't know where they come from. We go to unload the dishes, and I'm like, wait a minute. This wasn't in here when we loaded this thing, right? This wasn't in here when we loaded this thing. And listen, I'm not, I'm not being that pastor guy that's up here bashing technology, okay? There is a lot of technology that's useful, right? There's a lot of things that are useful. It was useful for me uh, um, um, last night. There's a lot of technology that's useful, but let it not go unnoticed that we're more and more connected, yet we're more and more alone. We're more depressed. We're more suicidal. There's more, we're more medicated. All of these things. Why? Because we aren't known and we don't know. The message of the gospel, the freedom, what we've been saved for is that we can be fully known. Right? Fully known. I don't have, I don't have, to, I don't have to put on a show for God. He knows me. 
He knows me. I don't have to tuck my shirt in for him like I do you. He knows me. It's Easter. It's all about being uncomfortable in church <laughs> at Easter. Right? The message of the gospel is that we can be fully known and fully loved in our fully knownness. That's community. If you're at a place, listen to me, one of two things, and I'm going to be real here. I didn't do this in the first two because I had a time constraint. We can be here till six o'clock, okay? But hear me, if you're at a place, if you're at a place where you are walking into the house of God and you feel like you cannot be fully known and fully loved, one of two things need to happen. You need to talk to somebody. You need to talk to somebody. Or... No, you just need to talk to somebody. You need to talk to somebody. The gospel, the implication of the resurrection is that we can be fully known and fully loved. Our volunteers are ready to get out of here. They're ready for me to be quiet. We aren't known because we don't know. The only way for us to experience grace and love is to be fully known and as long as we have the walls up and listen the walls are there for good reason I get it a lot of the emotion around this building the last couple days for me have been a lot of the scars that come along with this building a lot of conversations I've had yeah I mean there's joys and there's celebrations but we don't I don't want you to, I don't want you to, I don't want to remember some conversations that have happened in this building. The Sunday, the Sunday I ran out of that door and ran into room four and wept because I didn't feel like I was the man for this job. Because of what three people told me right before I got up to preach that morning. I could list every single one of their names and tell you exactly where we had those conversations. One of them was right on the coffee spill that's right over here. Those walls are there because something significant happened. But if you want to be covered by the grace of God, then those walls have to be covered by the grace of God too. You've been saved for community. And then lastly, you've been saved for the mission of God. For the glory of God and our joy. For the glory of God and our joy. See, the thing we have to realize about being a Christian, there's always something to do. Isn't there? I mean, sometimes it gets overwhelming if we want to get legalistic about it because there's always something to do. There's always a devotion we could do. There's always praying because that guy Paul talks about praying without ceasing. Right? There's always somebody that we could testify to about the goodness of God. It's kind of like, like when I'm coaching basketball. I tell my girls all the time that if you're standing still, you're doing it wrong. On offense, if you're standing still, you go set a screen for somebody. Make a cut. Try to get the ball, right? You're the easiest person to guard if you're standing still. Move. 
move. Go get an offensive rebound. On defense, right, the best defense is the most annoying defense, right? You nag people. You, it's the freedom to nag people. Yell in their face. Shout at them, right? Annoy the mess out of them. That's the best defense, right? Be constantly moving. And what, do, and what I call a timeout yesterday. I told my girls that. And what do they do when they get right back in the game? Okay, defensive stance, hands up. One, two, three. Oh, he's not looking anymore. And we play that game with God and the mission. Stirred up. All right, I'm going to walk out of here differently. I'm going to walk out of here differently. I'm going to let this message affect my life in the parking lot. Yes, I'm in my defensive stance. Pastor's not looking anymore. I'm out of church. God's not looking. The tie's off. Bible's down until next Sunday. Listen to me. It will affect your life completely if you buy into the fact that you have been saved for the mission of God. I'm not asking you to add things. In our busy culture, if I were to say you've got to add these things into your life, no, forget it, right? You're checked out. We can't add things. I'm not asking you to add ten things. If anything, I would ask you to take away ten things and then look at this. I'm not asking you to add things. What I am challenging you to do is to invite some things. Jesus goes on. He meets those disciples at Galilee. Some doubted. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. Some doubted. And Jesus, to confront their doubt, says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. You're saved for the mission of God. I resurrected so that I could save you for the mission of God. And if you look at that word go in Matthew 28, 18, the Greek is literally as you go. So in the fact that you're saved for the mission of God, I'm not asking you to add anything, but I am inviting, I'm a, I am challenging you to invite the Holy Spirit along as you go because you've been saved for the mission of God. Worship team's going to come. We were at breakfast yesterday. We are celebrating this place. And I asked folks to grab a rock. Mindy, you need to grab a rock before you leave here. Okay, y'all can take your pick of these up here. They took the extra rocks and used them as decoration. That's very resourceful. But I challenge people to take a rock, and we talked about how places are significant in Scripture. Joshua 4, they just crossed the Jordan, or uh, crossed the Red Sea. God tells Joshua to get the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes to come together and grab stones so they could remember what God had done in that place. That they could teach their kids when their kids asked them later, hey, what does this stone signify? Right? That they could tell them the story that happened that day, what God had done that day at that place, that they could testify. And so I challenged people as they were at breakfast yesterday, take a stone so that when you look at it, you remember what God's done here at this place. Because this place is significant. Yeah, the church isn't walls, 
We're going someplace next week. Hopefully he'll join us and come with us, right? But the church isn't walls, but this place has been significant for this church. And as I was walking around talking to a couple of folks, and usually I don't share names with my stories, but I got permission for this one. Jordan Cram stopped me and she said, you need to know that on my rock I wrote the Great Commission. Because when I think about this church, I think of the Great Commission. Because you Great Commissioned me. And Jordan looked at me and she said, I met Jesus right over there. As a college student at USM. I met Jesus right over there. She said, for the last few years, you guys have trained me. I've grown up in Christ right here. I've learned about Jesus. I've learned about a relationship with God, His mission for my life. Now she is a navigator full-time down at the University of Connecticut, training disciples for Christ, hopefully their basketball team. And she said, you great commissioned me. I met Jesus here, was trained here, discipled here, and then you've sent me out to make more disciples. Part of our Easter offering that we're receiving this weekend is going to Jordan. That's just one story of a thousand we could tell. Right, Brian? But it impacted me so yesterday because we're saved for the mission of God. That's why we exist. That's why we collectively exist, but that's also why we as individuals exist. Not just to be saved from hell. A turn or burn message is so missing the point. Because I got to tell you, what he saved me for, what he saved you for, the people on this stage, each and every one of you, what he saved for, what he saved me for, excites me a lot more than what he saved me from. Because it gives me purpose. It gives me life. I'm not a spectator. I don't have to be bored. It's like my list of chores at home. There's always something to do in the mission of God. And I certainly don't have to chase fairy tales. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that the resurrection means so much for the life of the believer. And God, it's not that those things that you saved us from are less than or insignificant, but they're just not complete. Because you saved us for a life. A life with you. A life with others. And a life on mission. And I pray, I pray that God, you stir our passion for this, for Jesus, to live with him and for him forever. Come awake, our soul.
in Jesus' name.